0: Ronaldo oh my goodness you don't save those out of this
1: world Messi 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 3 nothing!
2: Landon Donovan there are things are here for the USA can they do it here cross
1: and Dempsey is denied again and Donovan has scored oh can you believe
0: time, the United States of America are crowned champions of the world.
1: From the international stage to right here at home, this is FUVFC talking all things soccer on WFUV Sports.
2: It is Thursday, April 21st. FUVFC is back after a short Easter recess. And we've got a special one. The two godfathers of the podcast, Keenan Troy, dare I say, Don Balsamo. Oh, b- my goodness. Behind the glass, and our godson, our dearly beloved baby Nick Guzman. Thank you, guys. Gentlemen, before we get into a crazy week that was the Premier League, i got to ask coming off the holiday break, how are we? You know, the nitty gritty time of the semester, everything ramping up in terms of what's due. You know, late nights, we've all been there. It's nice to, you know, take a take a mental reset, come talk some soccer. So Don Balsamo, it's been, I would say, since September, maybe even before September, when we were doing it Zoom over the summer, since you and I were on
1: FUVFC episode together. How are you, my friend? You come to
2: me on this, the day (laughs) of my final FUVFC?
1: No, so uh, I'm doing great. Yes, the last time I was on here was September. It was the start of uh, Fordham men's soccer season. I got one in and we talked about them and then their season got underway and then women's basketball season happened and now softball season's happening. And, you know, that's what I've been up to. Um, but yeah, as, as I just mentioned to you guys before we got started, th- this podcast in a lot of ways just kind of feels like, you know, it existed before us. It went away for a little while, and then you know it was uh, kind of one of my pet projects during the summer to help bring it back, and it just became kind of my baby a little bit. I'm sure you feel the same way, Keenan. And it's it's good to be back here one more time just to see what it's grown into.
0: I think it's in good hands. You've got you've got myself, you've got James Burley, you've got a lot of young guys who like soccer. This podcast is here to stay. Very thankful that you guys got it started. Excited to work with you too, Dylan. I've never actually worked with you before.
1: That's right. That's absolutely right. And you and I share a very important um, distinction and a commonality with each other which is our association with uh, the Fordham-Ram newspaper. That is correct. The historic Fordham-Ram newspaper. The
0: historic Fordham-Ram newspaper.
1: So, excellent to be here with you, my friend. And, of course, you as well, Keenan. It's it's good to be here with you and kind of look at what we've built.
2: Yeah, and, you know, starting back when we recorded all those months ago in September, that's right when the Premier League was kicking off, Dylan. And, you know, I, I didn't go back and listen to what we said, how we predicted it would shake out, but... I would doubt that, you know, maybe we saw the Manchester City-Liverpool two-horse race that this weekend saw them changing spots. You know, obviously now City holding that one-point advantage after 32 match weeks, but I don't think anyone predicted what we'd be seeing in the rest of the top six in terms of the table. You've got Chelsea at 62 points who are doing everything in their power to hold on to that third-place position and really don't look comfortable doing so. You've got Tottenham, Arsenal. United all flip-flopping points in terms of who's going to lock up that last Champions League spot. You know, you look at Arsenal winning that big North London Derby yesterday. A ton of craziness happening. Can't wait to dive into it, but I think, you know, if we go back almost two weeks now, you had that big match between Liverpool and Manchester City. You know, everyone kind of thought going into that match, whoever took the points there was probably going to be the champion of England. But with them splitting points, finishing 2-2, it was kind of anyone's... Up for anyone's grab, and we see Liverpool you know, handling business emphatically two days ago against Manchester United, a thrashing of 4-0. We'll get to Man United in a bit because they're having some changes at the top in terms of Eric Der Haag being introduced, the Ajax coach, for next year's campaign. And then the pressure was on City, and after a 0-0 ha- first half against Brighton, they go out and secure all three points with a 3-0 victory jumping Liverpool to going to 77 points, Liverpool sitting on 76. So it really might come down to the last day with these two teams. You know, you look at strength of the schedule throughout the rest of the Premier League season. Liverpool playing Everton this weekend. Manchester City playing Watford, two bottom-of-the-table teams. Both teams play Aston Villa. That's a common opponent. Then both teams play, you know, another team of that big six with West Ham and then Wolves outside of position eight, and then Liverpool also playing Arsenal. Nick, I want to start with you. You know, when we started at the beginning of the season, we looked at this Premier League table, how both sides have been created, and I think one, we never thought Liverpool would be in potential to win a quadruple, which we can get to if we need to, but I think we always anticipated a two-horse race between City and Liverpool, with maybe Chelsea being a little bit closer than sitting 14 points back, but I never thought it'd be this close in terms of each team having to win out in order to win the Premier League. No team really wants to stumble.
0: And we saw just how evenly matched it was when the two teams, you know, faced each other in the Premier League on April 10th, and then after that in the FA Cup where Zach Steffen decided to give the entire country of the United States a bad name. But that's a story for another day. (laughs) Liverpool, I think this is the best Liverpool side I've seen under Jurgen Klopp, you know, taking away when they ran away the league in 2019, 2020, That was a much weaker Man City team. This is a Man City team at full strength, with no injuries, with crazy depth, and they're playing them, you know, strength to strength, week to week, and it's really about who blinks first. When you look at this city schedule, it's definitely a lot weaker than Liverpool's schedule, but we've seen the way Liverpool dispatched Manchester United the other day. Just a total, complete domination, total, complete performance. And when you look at Man City... You know, the game against Watford, probably a win, easy, but that going to Leeds, a Leeds team under Jesse Marsh, who are fighting for survival still, Burnley won today, so Leeds only five points clear of Burnley, and that last relegation spot. West Ham away, they also have to go to on May 15th. That's a West Ham team fighting for Champions League football, fighting for Europa League football, That and going to West Ham, not easy at all. There's definitely games where this city team can slip up and Liverpool can capitalize, but I think... If you're looking at it from a Liverpool perspective, you can't drop points anywhere if you want to win the title and have hopes of a quadruple. Because this City team, I'd say you'd be lucky if they dropped points in one game. Maybe to West Ham, maybe to Leeds, maybe they slip up at home to Newcastle, maybe at home to Villa on the final day. That's not that likely. But I think I wouldn't be surprised if we see a situation similar to 2018-2019 where both teams went out and you know Liverpool just fall just a hair short but, you know, even with that, the fact that Liverpool have competed on four fronts this year. When you think about the way they, in 2018, 2019, 2019, 2020, you know, they got knocked out of cups early. They would play second squads, got knocked out of the League Cup early, knocked out of the FA Cup early. To be competing on four fronts and being in those, you know, competitions right to the very end is so incredibly impressive for the Liverpool side. And the fact that the quadruple is a, is a reality. It just speaks to the way Jurgen Klopp has built this team. And, you know, every single player they've brought in, Luis Diaz, you know, as a winter transfer, a January transfer to come in and seamlessly just slot into that attacking three so beautifully. It's it's very impressive. And both teams are well-oiled machines, and you, you kind of have to say whoever wins it deserves it. And whoever comes second, you'd say they probably deserve to win the title as well just because of how good these teams have been but it's really the first time I've had a title race in a couple seasons and it's just exciting to watch every week who's gonna blink first my money probably I don't think either team will blink and maybe City will win the title by one point but there's definitely a couple trap games in there for Man City that Liverpool fans can be excited about as long as they take the points where they need to
1: yeah you know Nick regardless of uh, opponent here I think what it really comes down to is the fact that there's not going to be a bad game that uh, or a boring game I should say that either of these sides is going to play for the remainder of the season. I but you know you you mentioned how you know this is the first time we've seen a real like horse race to the end between two sides in a couple of seasons and and, and it's just so interesting because Keenan mentioned up at the top that you know this is the it we no one could have predicted what this season has has been we could have predicted Man City you know being at least near if not at the top but you know just look at their goal differential I, you know, I'm I have the list up in front of me right now. Man City's in first, they have a +55 plus 55 goal differential. Liverpool's a little bit above them, they got a +61. And then everything drops from there. Chelsea's got a +39, they like to score. Everything after that is either +18 or below before you start getting into the negatives very very quickly. So, you know, the two of these sides that have dominated things this season, but we've seen in seasons past, uh, you know, a team like Manchester City quite frankly um, being very good at dropping the ball against teams that they should be beating. Um, and, you know, what's really, to me, most impressive about this Liverpool side, and Nick, you were just alluding to it quite greatly, is to, to be fighting on four fronts at once. We've seen this Manchester City side compete for, you know, Champions League titles over the last, really, five or six years, um, where, you know, either they're really gunning for it uh, in the UCL and things fall to the wayside, Um, in in other things, specifically on the domestic side of things, um, or in in the other direction. And and for Liverpool to really have a shot at all four here just goes to show how strong they are overall and how incredible they have been performing this season.
2: Yeah, and I think something interesting when we talk about both teams in the Champions League semifinals this year, both, oddly enough, drawing a Spanish side, so we've got an entirely English versus Spanish Champions League semifinal, You obviously look at Liverpool, who gets significantly lucky, if we want to call it luck, that they're playing Villarreal instead of Bayern Munich, just because you know if they were playing Bayern, you would need an A-plus performance in both legs in order to guarantee a spot in the final. Villarreal, not to take anything away from Unai Emery's side that has been proving doubters wrong all Champions League season, especially knocking out heavy favorites Bayern last week. But that being said, you know, the way that Klopp has this Liverpool team clicking, you obviously think advantage to them in contrast to Manchester City, who have drawn a really, really stout Real Madrid side that we saw it in the leg against PSG. We saw it in the last leg where Benzema just cannot be denied goals against Chelsea. I know, Nick, you're a, you're a Chelsea boy.
0: Stung a little bit.
2: Yeah. <laughs> It, it I, I don't blame you, you know, what was Mendy doing, but uh, uh, nonetheless, I think the question really remains for City, you know, you talk about those trap games, Nick, especially that one against Leeds, you circle that in, or even that one against Newcastle, that's in a series of games, so you've got a game on Saturday against Watford, three days later, you go against Real Madrid, and then you get the next Saturday a game against Leeds, and then another game against Real Madrid, and then a game against Newcastle. Manchester City and Liverpool are both in the same predicament, but I would be shocked if City doesn't drop points in any of those games, whether it be in the Champions League or in the Premier League, solely because I think Liverpool's bench is more consistent in terms of like-for-like substitution, with maybe the exception of Thiago, even though Naby Keita can kind of slide in that role, but when you talk about front three, when you talk about midfield, The consistency in Liverpool, it's not to say that they don't have the players. They have far significantly better players than Manchester City does. I think De Bruyne is the best midfielder out of both sides. For example, I think Gundogan does a good job. Phil Foden is probably the youngest star that both teams have. But like for like, there's more consistency in this Liverpool side that, you know, if Fabinho gets subbed off, Milner comes in, Henderson can just slide to that defensive mid and all of a sudden, you know, What was established is continuously established versus when City makes substitutions. I feel sometimes they lose, you know, their shape and they also lose some connection between their players. So definitely be interesting to see squad rotation. And, you know, Liverpool still very much alive in the FA Cup. So they've got another obstacle to go in order to win a second trophy. I think it could go either way. I think, as to Dylan's point, there's going to be no boring soccer. You know, you look at these schedules for all the team for Liverpool and Man City going into the final day of the Premier League season and, you know, what will come of the Champions League if both make it to the final. That would be something if Man City played Liverpool in the Champions League final. One last battle to see who is the top team in Europe after they've been doing it all season long in the Premier League. But to Dylan's point, I don't think we're going to see a bad game. I think, you know, you saw with that Brighton game that, yes, it finished 3-0, but it was a stalemate in the first half. Watford, you can expect them to roll over cuz they're not good, but Leeds, Newcastle, Villa and West Ham, you can expect them to put up a fight against City who are looking to go back-to-back as Premier League champions. Nick, I got to ask you, you know, I've just been rambling on about what's to come. We've been focusing so much on Man City and the likelihood or unlikelihood that they're going to drop points. When you look at this Liverpool side, you know, you've got a Merseyside derby, on Sunday, and then they play Villarreal, and then they play Newcastle before City gets them, I really think that big one's going to be Tottenham because when we look at this table and we see that fourth place is really up for grabs and barring Chelsea's, you know, absolutely falling apart, that's the last Champions League spot open, and right now you've got Tottenham, you've got United, you've got West Ham on the outside looking in realistically, and Arsenal all gunning for that spot and you'd expect Conte to put out his strongest performance against Liverpool in that game on May 7th.
0: And the fact that Spurs still have so much to play for is worrisome for if you're a Liverpool fan. The game will be at Anfield, so that's a big advantage for Liverpool. But when you think about the way the table's shaping up you know, as a whole, you look at Spurs are right there, Arsenal's right there, United's right there, and that could really go to either of those three teams I'd say West Ham maybe a little bit on the wayside it, who knows they could go on a run of form towards the end of the season but I'd say it's between those three for one spot so that just means that every single match means something it's not like Tottenham are locked in that fourth spot maybe like Chelsea are it's not like Tottenham are way out of it it's the fact are, that are
2: Chelsea locked in
0: I would say if, Chelsea- I mean five points ahead with six seven games to play that's I would consider Chelsea to be locked in. I don't think I this team collapses. I think that game against Arsenal yesterday was awful on a ton of fronts, but mainly just from the fact <laughs> that Tell me how uh, you really feel. there oh, were man. so many individual mistakes in that game. You know that first goal, Christensen, You know the goal. You know by uh by Nketiah in the fifty seventh minute, where it's just ping pong ping ball in the box. Malanksar is no business starting for this Chelsea team even if Rudiger's hurt. It just points to, you know, lack of depth that Chelsea have that maybe you know other teams like Liverpool and City were class above. They have a center back who can fill in for if Rudiger would be hurt and you can and it's seamless. Just to keep going with Chelsea. Ngolo Conte's lost a step. He's clearly lost a step and it's it hurts my heart to say that, but like a Conte, a Jorginho midfield is not good enough anymore. But I think I would consider Chelsea to be locked into that to that third spot. Even if, you know, the loss to Real Madrid, they they've had some tough results. You think about that Brentford result at the beginning you know, of the month where they lost four one. But the fact that Tottenham Hotspur have everything to play for, and the fact that it's their arch rivals Arsenal who are chasing them, that's a very tough game for Liverpool. I still think they win it, but on paper, it's no secret Liverpool have a much tougher run of games than Man City does. But if you've just watched the way Liverpool has played, this the way this Liverpool team has played, you know, really the second half of the season, most of the season, it's just been doesn't matter who they play, they're gonna attack, they're gonna score goals, and it's really the opponent matters, but a team like Spurs, a team like Everton, I feel like Liverpool at Anfield heavily favorited. I, I would say playing Everton, even though it's a derby game. Everton being so far down the table and fighting for their own, you know, Premier League safety, that's, a, that's another, you know, thing that they need to consider when when going to Anfield. Everton will, you know, want something out of that game so dearly, not just for winning a Murray's side derby, which means so much to the people of Liverpool, but because they might get relegated. Burnley won today. Everton not safe at all, just one point ahead of Burnley with a game in hand. The fact that they could go down, again, they've got so much to play for at Anfield. I think it's just the fact that lived that I think City are more prone to a trap game. But it really, you know, we're talking about it, it really could go either way. The fact that both these teams are so talented and play such good soccer, it's really just sit back and watch, and whoever drops points drop, drops points. And I wouldn't be stunned if neither of them do. And we just go through with both teams winning and City maybe winning the title by one point right at the end.
2: To change gears a little bit, and Dylan, I'm coming to you with this. Sure. As much as we've talked about the final two, the fact of the matter is both of those obviously won a Premier League trophy, no doubt, but no one's catching them in terms of knocking them out of a Champions League spot. Nick, you kind of talked about it. Chelsea, despite growing concerns, it looks like that they're going to see themselves into the Champions League yet again. That's where the fourth spot gets super interesting. We talked about Tottenham having everything to play for with their arch-rival, Arsenal right on their heels, even on points, only ahead on goal differential. Manchester United currently has played one more game than both of those teams. They're sitting three points back, but they're certainly not dead. When you look at their run of games, though, they might be. We've had a big one on Saturday against Arsenal at 7.30 in the morning, which might be a tough wake-up for some of us, but I definitely got to check that one out because realistically, you look at that match, and if Manchester United loses – I think we can all agree that they might be dead just because Arsenal will leapfrog Tottenham, who will then need to get a result on their weekend match versus Brentford later on Saturday. United will have played 34 matches, only be sitting at 54, with Arsenal being at 60. Who knows what Tottenham will do? That being said, for United, when you look at Arsenal, you know first they need to handle business against United, then they play West Ham, and you know who knows what West Ham's going to do in order to stay alive. And then we have the derby of all derbies between Tottenham and Arsenal on May 12th. They've already given us a time. How great is that? 2.45 p.m. Hopefully we don't have finals. can be able to just glue ourselves to the TV. But that game, you know, the third to last match day, that one's probably, in my opinion, the one that's going to decide between Tottenham and Arsenal, who's going to slip into that fourth spot. I love Arsenal to get into it. I know, Nick, you were disgusted yesterday with that Chelsea dismantling by the hands of Arteta, showing Tuchel yet again that he's been outclassed by a Spaniard. But, Dylan, my question to you is, you know, when we look at a team like Manchester United who's sitting, I don't want to say comfortably in sixth, but it looks like they're very resolute in maintaining sixth, I think the question for me is, is there any chance they get themselves out of this hole? You know, obviously, they need a result against Arsenal in order to do so, but is it just going to be too little too late? And I feel like we've been preaching that all year long with this Manchester United team that they give you a glimmer of hope and then they pull it away right when you're about to be sucked into believing that this team is worth something.
1: By getting to, by getting themselves out of the hole, you mean getting into that fourth spot and yeah, getting yeah. to the UCL? Yep. Yeah. Um, well, you know what's interesting? I guess I guess it's not out of the question, but I'm I'm at this point I'm incredibly doubtful. And you know, th- when Nick was talking, I I I noticed something interesting. Everyone we've been talking about here uh, at this point, whether that be you know the the guys at the top competing for a spot or someone competing for that last UCL position or or anyone who they're even going to play, everyone has something to play for here. Uh, you know, obviously Manchester City and Liverpool—they're both going to try and get that top spot. You know that I would say specifically that fourth spot in the UCL UCL is up for grabs. You know, Spurs and Arsenal are fighting for. It. Man U has uh, has a a game less to play on them, which obviously is going to make things a little more difficult for them. They're they're going to get into that Europa League spot just fine. I'm I'm not worried about you know, West Ham behind them, but you know it's it, it's it's just. I just don't see a situation in which they come out the 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 victors of of that fourth spot. It just would be incredibly difficult. And as much as they have shown glimmers of hope this year, the one thing they have not really shown is any sort of consistency. and you know coming down the stretch, everyone's gonna be playing their best football. It's just gonna be very difficult for them to do that and with one less game to play
0: than everybody else. I just really do not see it happening for man united too it's it seems like the recipe is. You either lose, have some kind of disappointing result, or Ronaldo saves you Yeah, with a Hatcher against Norwich or a Hatcher against somebody. And that's just, it's just not sustainable to rely on a 37-year-old to prop up your entire offensive output, not to mention the woes they have at the back with Harry Maguire and you know all those guys. But then you, you think about a team like Arsenal who looked really dead in the water after losing 3-0 to Crystal Palace, 2-1 to Brighton, 1-0 to Southampton. That's three straight defeats against bottom of the t- half bottom half of the table teams. And they come out, they go to Stanford Bridge and they rebound and they win 4-2 and they put on a great performance. I think that just shows you the inconsistency the inconsistency of Arsenal a little bit and the fact that they're so young that that kind of stuff will happen. Now it's just the fact, did they write the ship against Chelsea or did they just catch Chelsea on a bad day? Cuz you think about Arsenal playing Man United at home. I think Arsenal play better as a young team with speed when they can sit back a little bit, hit you on the counterattack. Chelsea was controlling the ball for a lot of that game. But when they have to kind of break down a press, you know, break down a low block, it's not as smooth from Mikel Arteta's side. I think if United kind of sit back a little bit and try and play on the counter, that'd be beneficial for them. But I just think this Arsenal team... When you think about United, you know what you're going to expect probably not great. Ronaldo might save them. Tottenham, I think Conte's got him set up much better, and there's more consistency and more solidity. Even if some of the results don't really reflect that. Arsenal went on that huge run of form, you know, in the middle half of the season, and then collapse of late. I think people assumed maybe the top four are slipping away. Then they come out and really bully Chelsea on their own home turf, and I think if you had to pick a favorite right now, I would still go with Spurs. Just because I I don't know ever what to expect from this Arsenal team. They couldn't score goals in those three games against you know not very good opponents. And then Eddie and who who's hadn't scored a Premier League goal all season, scores two, and they drop four on Chelsea. Even though that last penalty by Saka was never a penalty, on Azpilicueta. He but pulled him down. He pulled him down. Yeah. I don't know how you look at VAR and you and you decide that's a penalty. But still, if you take away that, it's still three goals against a Chelsea team who maybe. You know, you think about they're solid at the back, but maybe with some of the names in there, maybe not so much anymore towards the end of the season. But I think it's going to come down between Spurs and Arsenal, the two North London rivals. I think United are slipping away a little bit more. And I think the fact that when you just think about the narrative of these teams' season, these team seasons, even if United finish top four, I'd say that's a disappointment just because of all the turmoil that's happened. If Arsenal finish in the top four, that's mission accomplished. That's beautiful. They got top four. They're back playing Champions League football under a young coach with a young team. And if Spurs get top four, I'd also say that the mission accomplished for them, just because of you know the bringing Conte in the middle of the season, and you know how how bad they were doing under Nuno Espirito Santo earlier. I think it's between Spurs and Arsenal. My money would be on Spurs right now, just because I never know. Which Arsenal side we're going to see? Are we going to see the side that's playing free-flowing counter-attacking football, or the side that can't score goal to save their, save their lives?
2: Yeah, I I'm with you, Nick and Dylan on the point of. It's it's going to be one of the London teams. Yeah, and I think when you look at a team like Man United and you think they're missing it, I honestly don't see it as a step in the wrong direction. Obviously, now with Europa League and Conference League, I mean it's not the days of old where if you miss the Champions League, you'd only get to focus on the Premier League and, you know, what's going on in the EFL. You also play in Europe, but you play under teams against teams that, you know, maybe aren't to the level of competition in the Champions League, which realistically you'd never think you'd say this about a team like Manchester United, but I think it's going to be especially helpful for them to play in Europe against teams that, you know, are good by all stretches of the imagination in some regards, but also in others lacking in teams that you can go beat up on. Because we've known all the drama that's happened this year, and, I mean, we can really stretch it back to the end of the Mourinho days. If you want to go all the way back to Sir Alex leaving, and then the Von Hall days, and then the special one, all that stuff, all lay out. Finally, they arrive on a new boss who people really thought was going to come. It was just a matter of when, not so much if. You mentioned Conte getting picked up in the middle of the season. Once he made that move to Spurs, a lot of people started looking at Eric Hag, who is the coach of Ajax for the past couple years. You know, when you think of Ajax, for the non-big soccer fan, you might not—you probably think Dutch League. You know, you win Dutch titles, what does that mean? But when you look in their run of form, especially this year in the Champions League, obviously the loss to Benfica probably still has sour grapes in his mouth because— by all accounts, they should have beat that Benfica side, in my opinion. That being said, Ter has done, Ten Hag, excuse me, has been great in terms of youth development. You think of guys that have matured under him, the Donny, I mean Donny Vander bakes come back from loan, for example. But Frankie de Jong, Matthias de Ligt, Antony, Quincy Promes, you know Memphis Depay really returned to form when he was playing under Ten Hag. So it'll be interesting to see what he does with a Manchester United team that realistically doesn't have a direction, in my opinion. I think that his appointment, you know, having it confirmed today, sets United in an approach that's going to be exceptionally necessary for them to become on the likes of a City, a Chelsea, especially an Arsenal team that we're seeing compete with young talent and young talent that's developed at Arsenal or you know, purchased and then continue to be developed when they're only 19, 20, 22 years old. Because I think as of late, we've seen the solution to so many of Manchester United problems is, okay, let's go buy an old Edison Cavani. Let's go buy an old Cristiano Ronaldo. Let's go buy, for lack of a better term, you, know, you think Jadon Sancho is going to be this wonder kid. I'd say he's probably the last signing since Anthony Martial that you took a chance on a younger kid. But even Sancho had proved himself at Dortmund. Not that he was old, but it wasn't, you know, when you think of who Liverpool is developing and how they got so good, they took Sadio Mane from Southampton, took Diego Jota from Wolves, Mo Salah from Roma, Alisson Becker from Roma, Virgil van Dijk from Southampton, and then a plethora of guys that have been Liverpool guys since the time they were young, if you think about their fullbacks that are just phenomenal. Obviously, it always helps when you've got guys like Henderson and Milner who are Liverpool legends for life, but also Jurgen Klopp taking risk on under, I don't say underappreciated guys, but guys that aren't big club players and come in and find a place within their side. And I think that's what Eric Ten Hag is going to implement at United so that it's not no longer just picking up random guys. Nick, we're running... Quickly out of time here. Such a loaded Premier League episode. I'm going to kick it <laughs> to you for a final thought. Dylan, to a final thought. Just knee-jerk reaction to Ten Hag coming in. Obviously, so much going to happen over the summer with who he's going to bring in. But just knee-jerk reaction to maybe United getting a step in the right direction.
0: There's so much to like about having the United job, you know, despite all the drama and the fans and all of that. Because there's this myth that Manchester United don't have any money. They have money. They just spend it the wrong ways. Whether it's $50 million on Fred... on Harry Maguire. They have the funds. They've just used it wrongly. If you put someone like Eric Ten Hag in charge, let him to get, like Keenan said, allow him to get young players, not people like Nemanja Matic, not people like Cristiano Ronaldo, even though he's one of the greatest players of all time, maybe the best. Young, talented players with potential who you can develop under a good coach, under a good system. And I think the other thing that Ten Hag needs to do is just There's so much dead weight at Manchester United that you have to unload. Whether it's, I'm naming names, Eric Bailly, Nemanja Matic, Fred, you know, Harry Maguire, that'd be a tough one to part with considering how much you paid for him and his price tag. Cavani, you know, players like that who are just at this, Rashford even maybe, at this point are dead weight. And there's so many players like that at United that you need a clean slate. But this is a team that has money to spend. If they spend it the right way, they can easily get back on track. They just need to clean the ship out, start fresh with maybe a couple players you can build around, maybe Sancho, maybe keep Bruno around, and, and then just allow Ten Hag to move this team in the direction that he wants. You can't have you know interference from above, from upper management. It's got to be Ten Hag. You hired him. You have to believe in what he's doing. And if you do that, I think United could easily get back in the right direction.
1: Yeah, well, guys, I'll, look, I'll say the obvious here. This Manchester United team is not the one that, you know, the three of us were probably used to seeing and understanding a lot about, you know, as young children of, you know, you know, back in the days when Keen and I were kids, and, and Nick, that was well before you were born. <laughs> but, you, you know, the, there is, there's just something that innately changed in the foundation of this club over the last, really, I would say, five or six years that, you know, if you look 10 years ago, they were just see that they were just going to be squeezing into a Europa League spot, they would have shunned at that. So, you know, and Nick, you talked about Cristiano Ronaldo, and, you know, obviously, you know, there's going to be days where he can save you because he's that good, but, you know, he's not always going to be do that, going to be able to do that. And if my understanding of time is right, he, he is only getting older. So, you know, th- that's something you have to look out for. And what I hope comes from a coaching change for Manchester United for their own sake is, I guess, a bit of a culture change within the organization, of uh, of how they look at themselves and how they look at the money that they're spending. So um, I guess that'd be my final thoughts on Manchester United.
2: Well, gentlemen, it has been as an exciting episode as ever. Big shout out to Dylan coming Aww. back. Always fun. Love to do, you, Dylan.
1: Oh, an honor to be here. To honor. do
2: whatever it is we do together Truly. so well. And then Nick, it's always a pleasure when you're on the show. Big week of Premier League action coming up, and then we'll probably be back next week sometime after the Champions League has wrapped, so let's just say Thursday next week. Same time, folks. You know, we'll maybe try and get a little bit more consistent. Nick and I were joking we like to keep it cool over here at FUVF. Keep it casual. But maybe it's time, as the season ramps up, we'll stick to a consistent schedule. You can expect us Thursdays, hopefully, from here on out. Nick Guzman, Dylan Balsamo, Keenan Troy, saying, enjoy the soccer this weekend, America. Take care. And overseas.